Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise, and I certainly appreciate that you love Texas history as much as I do. You're joining over 27,000 folks who've downloaded this podcast, and I hope you're learning some new things along the way, and maybe a little more about some stories that you had heard before. Well, it's August 2016, and the kids are heading back to school soon. Summer's winding down. I hope that despite the Texas heat, you got to spend some time outside. The Texas outdoors are the best in the country. We have an extraordinary series of ecosystems in Texas, and it makes for some great times enjoying our wild places and our wildlife. One of the biggest outdoor tourism activities in Texas is bird watching. Now, I do most of my bird watching down the barrel of a shotgun during dove, quail, and duck season, but there's a bunch of folks who enjoy spotting many of our thousands of interesting wild birds. Just a cursory glance online and will reveal a large and active birding community, with, and they have events all over the state. Well, this bird watching didn't just start out of the blue. Back in 1837, the great naturalist and artist John James Audubon finally made it out west, and of course he picked Texas for that trip. It's an interesting story, and it involves much more than just birds. So let's go back to 1837 and get wise about Texas. I'm guessing almost everyone has heard of John James Audubon. He was born in Haiti in 1785. His father was a ship captain and a plantation owner named Jean, or pronounced John, I'm sure, Audubon. His mother was one of Captain Audubon's servants. And the captain brought him to France after he was born, and the captain's wife, an apparently very tolerant woman, raised young John. During the Napoleonic Wars, Audubon was sent to Pennsylvania by his parents to live on a farm that his father had purchased called Mill Grove. Audubon had always been interested in wildlife, and on the farm, on that farm, he got plenty of practice watching and learning about wildlife. Now, he, used, he started drawing birds and painting birds, and he used an interesting technique. And now, I'm no artist, so forgive me if I'm not exactly right on this, but basically what he did is he put up a sheet of transparent paper between himself and the subject, and the paper, in Audubon's case, these were bird specimens that he had killed and mounted, and the paper had a grid of squares on it. And then you overlay that same grid with the same size squares on the drawing page, and then he used some sort of sighting device to look through the grid at the bird and drew what he saw in each grid exactly as he saw it. So that sight would keep his eye in the same place, and he would get perspective automatically on that subject. And he also liked to draw the bird's life size. Now that presented a problem because the paper that he used uh, eventually for Birds of America, but I'm sure started using here at Mill Grove, was only 39 inches tall. So if he had a bird that was larger than 39 inches, he had to find what appeared to be a natural pose that he could bend them into that would put them less than 39 inches. And what he started doing was using wire to pin the birds into realistic poses based on his observations of the birds in nature. Now, I don't know if revolutionary is the right word uh, for his drawings, but Audubon is certainly known as one of the first naturalists to draw birds in these natural poses. And back in the 1800s, he was a huge deal and very famous. Audubon had married a teacher named Lucy Bakewell in 1808. They moved to Kentucky and he tried to start in several businesses and failed. Now remember in episode 16 of Wise About Texas talking about T.J. Chambers leaving Kentucky after the panic of 1819? Well, it caught Audubon too. And he actually was jailed for some of his debts in Kentucky. 
he went to Cincinnati and taught art and worked on his ta- his taxidermy for his art and finally he decided to pursue what he loved and create what he called his great work. And what he would do is, what he was going to do was draw the animals and birds of North America, and he would make money by selling those drawings. So he moved to New Orleans, because Louisiana, of course, has tremendous natural resources and wildlife. And his wife got a job teaching school on the Oakley Plantation near Baton Rouge, so he moved there with her then. He traveled up the Mississippi and Ohio River, and he was capturing and drawing birds. And then he went to Philadelphia to try to get his book published but the Philadelphia folks didn't weren't interested they kind of blew him off so he traveled over to England to see if he'd have any better luck and he traveled around England Scotland and France attempting to sign up subscribers for this great work which would be his book of drawings now he got lucky over there he ran into a guy named William Lazars who printed a prospectus for his book and did one plate of the wild turkey Unfortunately, Lazar couldn't fulfill all of Audubon's orders. So Audubon hired his colorists had gone on strike, just by the way, in case you're interested. They had to do all these colorings by hand. Um, So Audubon hired a father-son team of Robert Havel or Havel Sr. and Robert Havel Jr. And they happened to be two of the best engravers in Europe. And they were also at a period of time where they really needed the work. So Audubon ended up lucky with those two guys. Well, one of the missing pieces of his Birds of America book was a trip to the western part of the United States, or the western part of North America. So he needed to get to Texas. Now, this is 1836, but I ran across this little tidbit. It appears that 1836-37 was not the first time that Audubon tried to come to Texas. Remember, back in 1819 or 1820, a gentleman named James Long decided he needed to lead a filibustering campaign against what was then Spanish Texas. And he got a bunch of men and some money and went into Nacogdoches and declared Texas independence. He ended up in 1820 at a headquarters on the Bolivar Peninsula right across from Galveston with his wife Jane Long. And we now call Jane Long the mother of Texas because she gave birth to a child at Bolivar while Long was on his way to make, uh, to try to capture La Bahia. And that's another episode. Anyway, I found some indication that Audubon tried to join the Long expedition to Texas. Now, I need to do a little more research on this, but if anyone listening out there knows about John James Audubon trying to hook up with the Long expedition to Texas in 1819 or 1820, please contact me and let me know, because that, that would be an interesting fact to find out for sure. Well, by 1837... It was a little easier to get here to Texas because we had won our independence and we're starting to build the Republic. Well, from New Orleans, Audubon sailed to Galveston with his son, James Woodhouse Audubon, and one of his patrons, a guy named Ed Harris, Edward Harris. He was aboard a revenue cutter named the USS Campbell, and that was a naval ship arranged for him by President Andrew Jackson. Audubon actually visited President Jackson in 1836. And uh, he wrote about that trip, and Audubon noted that he found Jackson adverse to the cause of Texas, which I expect meant that Jackson was against immediate annexation of Texas. And, and the backstory on that is, right after Texas won independence, Jackson sent a man down here to sort of investigate the situation, and the letters back to Jackson were not favorable because everybody thought that the Mexican army was going to regroup and come right back into Texas. And it wasn't... Uh, until 1837 that it was discovered that the anarchy and revolutions, et cetera, in Mexico 
were going to make it impossible for Mexico to invade Texas, at least right then. And that's when, in 1837, President Jackson officially recognized the independence of Texas. Well, 1837 was a big year for Texas independence also because France, Great Britain, and Belgium ended up recognizing the Republic of Texas. Um, and in 1837, there was a British secret agent here. We're going to meet him in just a second. Well, Audubon and his party were awaiting the USS Campbell in Charleston, but the Seminole War was going on and interrupted their plan. So they left Charleston to go overland to Mobile uh, and Pensacola to try to locate the USS Campbell. They were finally told that the, the ship would be in New Orleans, so off they went to New Orleans. They met up with the Campbell, and they headed for Galveston. And along the way, Audubon stopped to collect specimens along the coast. Now, I'm saying collect specimens. What he did was shoot these birds that looked interesting so he could wire them up and, and draw them. Let's be honest. Anything for science. My hunting friends will appreciate that Audubon noted the presence of huge numbers of American coot and noted further that one of the crewmen got 80 of them in one shot. Now, I'm speculating also that they ate those birds, which does not sound really good, but there you go. Audubon collected uh, some white pelicans on his way, and he also wrote about collecting hummingbirds that got caught by a coal front and were just laying around. They would just pick them up. Audubon arrived in Galveston Bay on April 24, 1837. Now, Texan naval officers boarded the ship, boarded the ship when they showed up. Uh, there had been some fighting in the Gulf right around that time, and they wanted to check them out. And uh, Audubon would have landed about in the area of the current ferry landing down in Galveston. And the first thing that he noticed was thousands of birds trying to get north, and they were stalled by a north wind of a front that had blown in. Uh, the Texas Secretary of the Navy came aboard. His name was Samuel Rhodes Fisher and visited the ship. Fisher was from Philadelphia. He no doubt knew of Audubon if he didn't actually know him. I suspect they did know each other, though. Uh, Fisher, by the way, had signed the Texas Declaration of Independence and the Texas Constitution. So they got to catch up. The next day, Audubon went ashore and he began his work. Now, the first thing he noticed was not a bunch of birds on Galveston, though. The first thing he noticed were a bunch of Mexican prisoners. A bunch of prisoners from San Jacinto were, in Audubon's words, being, quote, used as slaves, close quote. And he had heard gossip that in addition to the regular camp chores, that the Texas Army was actually making the soldiers pull plows. Now, this is a year removed from the Battle of San Jacinto. Well, the next day, Audubon went ashore from his ship, and the ship was anchored, Audubon thinks, about two miles from Galveston Island. But the group got out of the ship and waded across Galveston Bay the whole way. So, obviously, this was before the ship channel was built, and the, there was a lot of sandbars, and, and uh, the bay was very shallow. And again, Audubon doesn't mention the birds in Texas. Next, he mentions the mosquitoes, which are the size of small birds yet today. Uh, they built a fire on the beach to try to keep the mosquitoes away. And then he noticed not birds, but rattlesnakes, uh, and so alleges that they found a new species of rattlesnakes. So like many folks uh, who visited Galveston in early Texas, he also noticed a large number of deer which kept the party well-fed. Well, uh, let me tell you what else he would have seen in Galveston in 1837. The only structure on the island in 1836, when the runaway scrape refugees fled there and the government moved there uh, before San Jacinto, was the Mexican Customs House. And that building stood on what is today 
Harborside Drive. I speculate that it was in the area of 12th to 15th Streets. The reason I say that is because I found an obscure reference to it being where Lafitte's improvements once stood, which Lafitte, John Lafitte's uh, house, what my kids call the Pirate House, stood on Harborside and 14th. So in February of 1837, just before Audubon arrived, Colonel Amasa Turner had taken command of Galveston for the Texas Army. And the Mexican prisoners I talked about earlier built what Colonel Turner described as a Casa Grande for the new post commander. But here's what a Casa Grande was in 1837 Galveston. It was a room, one room, 10 by 11 feet. There was a chimney, a fireplace, and a hole in the wall that they called the door. It was built with sodden grass from the island with a grass thatch roof. And Colonel Turner had his family with him, so it was no doubt very cramped. And as you can tell, the conditions in Galveston in 1837 were pretty rough. And Turner's wife no doubt spent much of her day praying that the high tide wouldn't reach their Casa Grande. There weren't a lot of structures on the island besides those ramshackle houses, the camp tents, etc. In August 1837, a new custom house was con- was constructed at the corner of Tremont Street and Strand Street. Um, the Sandusky map of Galveston, one of the earliest maps, was made also in 1837. I'll post a picture of that one on the website. Um, and all of that was blown away uh, in October 1837 by a hurricane. Now I'm going to do a bonus episode on the hurricane of 1837. Patrons of the show will get that bonus episode. I'll tell you how to sign up to be a patron at the end of this episode. The point is, Audemars did not have much to look at on Galveston Island in 1837, so it's no wonder that he was staying on his ship. On April 29th, 1837, Audubon's son actually took a picture of the island. Now that sounds strange because the earliest picture taken in Texas, or for sure, is thought to be the 1849 photograph of the Alamo, which I think the University of Texas now has. But he wasn't taking a photograph. He was using a device called a camera lucida. This is an interesting device. This device projects an image onto a drawing paper. And how it works is the artist sets up a sight, a sighting device, uh, to view an image that's horizontal to him. In other words, looking out through the sight at the part of Galveston that he wanted to draw. Then he takes a half-silvered mirror and looks down onto his drawing paper through that mirror, which is also reflecting what's in his horizontal view. So the result is that he looks down on his drawing paper and he sees the image that he would see if he was looking straight ahead. He can then just essentially trace it onto the paper. So I thought that was a pretty neat device. Um, It is not known... There's not a known copy of that drawing of Galveston in 1837 that Audubon's son made, Uh, but I would love to find one. Again, if anyone has heard of that, please let me know. Well, on their way back to the boat uh, that particular day, Audubon ran into someone that led to a very interesting story. Um, Now, by this time on Galveston, he had actually seen some birds and drawn some birds. But here's something that happened to him that I think we just have to talk about. And the this story began on April 29, 1837, but it didn't end until just a few years ago. Let me explain. On April 29, 1837, as they returned to their ship or their hotel, as it were, Audubon met a guy named John Moore. 
Moore was from Connecticut, and he was a beef contractor for the Texas Army, and he lived near the San Jacinto Battleground. He promised to get a few things for Audubon. Well, what was he going to get? Recall that after the Battle of San Jacinto, the the dead Mexican soldiers, there were over 600 of them, were spread out all over the battlefield and in the marsh and the lake behind the battlefield. Well, a lady named Peggy McCormick owned the ranch where the the Battle of San Jacinto occurred, and she came into camp shortly after the battle and insisted that Sam Houston and the Texas Army bury these dead Mexican soldiers. Well, Houston gave her a very flowery speech about how her land had witnessed the birth of a great nation and she should be proud and all that. Well, she responded with some extremely strong language and dismissed his flowery speech uh, and wanted those bodies buried. Well, Santa Ana wouldn't do it. He displayed a total indifference to his dead soldiers, suggesting they just burn the bodies, which is about what you'd expect from Santa Ana. Well, the Texans couldn't use the Mexican prisoners to bury their fallen comrades because there weren't, weren't enough people to guard the prisoners. The Texans wouldn't do it because they were now a few days after the battle and it was just indescribably gross work. And when the stench got too bad to bear, the Texans army just simply packed up and moved away from the battlefield and up Buffalo Bayou. So the dead Mexican soldiers' bodies just decomposed on the field of San Jacinto. I saw a letter that was written on May 29, 1836, referring to the bodies in the field, so they were still there. Eventually, the local livestock, Peggy McCormick's cows, began eating the bones of the dead soldiers. Well, that ruined the milk and ruined the meat. So some brave townspeople went out there. There was actually a town called San Jacinto and a town, of course, across the channel called Lynchburg. And they went out and buried the bones in trenches. Uh, By the way, we are still looking for those trenches. But they didn't bury the skulls because they thought that the cows would not eat them. And that's what John Moore was going to retrieve for John James Audubon, some Mexican soldier skulls. Someone else did this, by the way, in 1838, my great-great-grandfather, who was a physician named Dr. James Price. There was a lawyer friend of his named Herndon who came to visit Houston from Kentucky in 1838. And he, my great-great-grandfather, and two other doctors went on a hunting trip to Galveston and stopped at San Jacinto where Herndon wrote that they collected many skulls. So I am in the process of searching every attic of every relative, but I haven't found any yet. Um, Also on that trip, by the way, one of the doctors, not my ancestor, uh, drank whiskey from one of the skulls, which is either extremely repulsive or simply the most Texan thing ever done. Anyway, skull collecting was a common pastime, especially for doctors. Phrenology was a big deal back then and the discovery of the origin of the species was a huge topic back then, so the skulls would have come in handy for that. Well, Audubon got his skulls, we think five of them. He sent them to a Dr. Samuel Morton in Pennsylvania. Well, how do we know that? Well, back in 2009, only seven years ago, Jeff Dunn made a shocking discovery. Mr. Dunn is a lawyer with the Munchart firm in Dallas. He is also a great and dedicated Texas historian. He's a driving force behind the San Jacinto Battleground Conservancy. And he found a reference to San Jacinto in a catalog of the Human Crania Collection of the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Most of this collection had come from Dr. Samuel Morton. The catalog referred to some skulls of Mexican soldiers slain at San Jacinto that had come from J.J. Audubon. 
Now, Morton self-published a catalog of his collection, and a copy of that catalog from 1849 was located, Mr. Dunn located it in Dallas at the University of Texas at Dallas Library. And in that catalog, the skulls were listed exactly the same way. He made a few more phone calls and discovered uh, that in the Morton Crania collection, now at the University of Pennsylvania, those skulls were still there. They were analyzed. They were found to be valid. San Jacinto skulls. And in a few minutes, I'll tell you how to see them, kind of. So thanks to Jeff Dunn for doing that great Texas history work. Well, let's go back to Galveston and let's catch up with Audubon. He continued to collect samples and avoid snakes. By the way, before it was named Galveston, they referred to, to that island as Snake Island. He took a day off. He rested, uh, went back and forth to the island, uh, finally went into the Texas Army headquarters, and he described the Texan camp as a, quote, miserable condition. He called the whole population, both the Texas Army and the Mexican prisoners, indolent and reckless. He also noted three female Mexican prisoners, by the way, I suppose camp followers of the Army. He also mentions a lookout house and four guns mounted at what he describes as the entrance of the harbor, which on the old maps, if you look at an old map of Galveston, will be marked Fort Point on the northeast corner. He also uh, fished for what he called prawns, that were extremely abundant, so he was doing a little shrimping. At this point, Audubon would have been east of the ferry landing in present-day Galveston on the end of the island where the ship channel is. He was shrimping and fishing one day when suddenly the party saw some black fins in the shallow water, and they thought they had a shark. So young young John Audubon, the son, managed to shoot the fish in the water twice. Now, remember, he's using a black powder gun. The big fish was flopping around, and they had a small boat, and uh, John tried to get a little closer. He jumped out of the boat, shoots the fish again, while people still in the boat are beating the fish with oars and trying to gaff it. So if this sounds like a rodeo, you know it must have been one. Finally, one guy got in there and cut the fish's tail while someone else hooked it and dragged it to shore. So I can only imagine what this must have been like. By then, there were about 100 Texan soldiers and Mexican prisoners assembled to watch this show. And when they got the fish on shore, it was a 12-foot sawfish. Now, that isn't a world record by any stretch, but any 12-foot fish is a big fish, especially with that big sawtooth bill. So that was quite the adventure. On May 8th, Audubon left Galveston and headed up for Houston. And on the second day of his trip, he reached New Washington, which is now Morgan's Point. And you'll remember that... Prior to the Battle of San Jacinto, James Morgan laid out the town in New Washington and Santa Ana burned it on his way to San Jacinto. They were attempting to rebuild the town. That never did work out. But Audubon continued up Buffalo Bayou past San Jacinto, and he stopped at the house of Isaac Batterson. Now, Isaac Batterson lived on Buffalo Bayou right about where Galena Park is now. And Batterson settled in the area. He named it Clinton after his New York home. And that's why Clinton Drive runs through Galena Park. And when the post office came, they had to rename it because there was always already a post office, of course, in Clinton, New York, where Batterson had come from. So they renamed it Galena Park. Batterson played uh, a key role in Texas independence, but I bet you do not know why. Let me tell you that story. On April 19th, 1836, when Sam Houston and the Army were marching towards San Jacinto, they needed to cross Buffalo Bayou and... Back in April 1836, we've talked about this in many of our episodes, it had rained a lot. Buffalo Bayou was, was swollen. So Sam Houston took the floors out of Isaac Batterson's home to make the rafts to get the Army and their equipment across Buffalo Bayou so they could get to San Jacinto. 
So without Batterson and his floorboards, who knows what would have happened. Anyway, he must have gotten a new floor because John James Audubon spent the night in the house one year and 20 days after Sam Houston and the Army took the board. So I'm sure that was a great dinner conversation. He continued up Buffalo Bayou, arrived in Houston on May 15th. Uh, they had to change clothes on the steamboat Yellowstone, which had beat him up to Houston from Galveston. And the Yellowstone is the sa- same steamboat that ferried Sam Houston and the Army across the Brazos during the march to San Jacinto. So Audubon was really making his rounds of Texas historical sites without even thinking about it. Audubon uh, got off the boat in Houston and uh, observed certainly a busy port, but very muddy, very disorganized. He made specific note that there were a bunch of Indians who were stumbling around in the mud, drunk, and yelling. Um, that, By the way, they were there to negotiate a treaty, which we'll talk about in another episode. But um, Samuel Fisher... That same secretary, the secretary of the Navy was there. He met Audubon and his group and walked them to Sam Houston's house, the presidential mansion, as it were. And along the way, Audubon noticed that most of the houses were unfinished. Uh, They didn't have roofs on them. The Capitol building didn't have a roof on it at this point. Um, And they were walking in the street, but they were also walking in water over their ankles. So Houston was a pretty muddy place, and and it still is if you can find part of it that hadn't been paved. Um, they made it, they made it to Sam Houston's house back then. It was on Travis street. It was a two room log cabin with a passage through the middle. Audubon called it the Southern style. We call it the dog trot cabin. There was no floor. It was dirt and therefore it was mud. Uh, but there was a fire. There was a table and several members of the cabinet of Houston's cabinet were there and met Audubon. And uh, someone else was also there that we mentioned earlier, a man named Joseph T. Crawford, the British vice consul at Tampico, Mexico. And back in episode seven of Wise About Texas, we talked about the machinations behind Texas joining the United States, which included Britain trying to reach an agreement to prevent Texas joining the United States. Anyway, when Audubon walked in the room, there sat the British agent from Mexico uh, that Audubon had met earlier in his trip. Well, Sam Houston finally showed up. Uh, Interestingly, apparently that particular day, he had been walking around the many bars in Houston. There wasn't even a church in Houston at this point, but there were a lot of saloons trying to talk the bartenders into not selling any more liquor to the Indians that were in town for the treaty negotiation. Audubon described Houston as, as, quote, forbidding and disagreeable, close quote. However, Houston uh, had a good suggestion. He immediately suggested that the party retire to one of the many bars and have a drink themselves, which they did enthusiastically. And as they toured around Houston, uh, Audubon made note of the Liberty Pole. Now, remember, this is this is just a year and a few days after uh, the Battle of San Jacinto. And what happened, the Liberty Pole is an interesting thing. They the uh, That's a tradition that started back with the Romans. Well, on the first anniversary of the victory at San Jacinto, the people of Houston erected a liberty pole in the middle of town. Now, I suspect the middle of town was Market Square because the Twin Sisters also stood in Market Square for a period of time, and they would fire them every April 21st. Um, well, the residents of Houston took a pine tree and uh, shaved it down and, and stuck it in the ground in Market Square, I'm going to say, and they needed to hang a Texas flag on it. So the guy that agreed to climb this liberty pole and hang the flag was rewarded by President Sam Houston with a lot, a town lot in Houston, a gold coin, and, best of all, the ferry concession at Allen's Landing, which back then would have been a huge franchise. 
Anyway, after a few years when Texas had become a state, that liberty pole eventually rotted and fell over. Um, Some of the old San Jacinto veterans uh, preserved about a 20-foot section of that pole. And on April 21st, every year, the veterans would have a little ceremony and then carry that pole to the nearest bar. And the tradition was when they put the piece of the pole on the bar, drinks were on the house. And they'd then they'd proceed to carry that Liberty pole from bar to bar all over town. And of course, no doubt when the, when the drinks started flowing, the stories started flowing and that battle of San Jacinto was fought over and over again, I'm sure. Um, and I think we ought to revive that tradition somehow on San Jacinto day. So I need some enterprising listener to start that committee for me, please. Well, soon after their meeting with Sam Houston, Audubon uh, went back to Galveston and, and went back on to New Orleans. Now, he wasn't the only naturalist studying Texas, but he certainly was the most famous. Uh, and he went on to complete his now legendary Birds of America very soon after he had visited Texas. And right after he got back from Texas, Audubon wrote to a friend that Texas had been a very fruitful trip. And after visiting Texas, Audubon wrote that he felt confident to give an essay on the geographical distribution of birds in North America. So evidently, the wide open spaces of southeast Texas was a great place to watch birds, and it still is. Well, birds weren't the only creatures being studied at this time. Uh, Soon after Audubon, a man from San Felipe named William Huff brought in a tremendous collection of ancient bones from the Brazos Riverbed out near Sealy, including some from a giant bison a tapir, a mastodon, and a Pleistocene elephant, whatever that is. Similar bones were soon found in the Colorado River. Another group of bones was found in the Brazos Riverbed in, 14, in Fort Bend County. This is all back in the 18, early, mid-1800s. So the natural scientists in Texas had a field day, pun intended. Texas remains a fantastic place to observe and participate in all sorts of nature-related activities, including the natural sciences, and bird watching. So get outside and honor John James Audubon by spotting some birds. Now we come to the part of the show called Getting There, and let's start getting there with Colonel Amasa Turner's Casa Grande and the Custom House in Galveston. Uh, The Army was on the east end of Galveston on what is now the Coast Guard property near the ferry landing. Unfortunately, you can't get on the base just to sightsee, but you can get a pretty good view from the Bolivar Ferry. The Customs House was in the middle of Harborside Drive, and I'm guessing around 12th to 15th Street. You have to do a little speculating based on the old 1837 map and Turner's description. And the new custom house that was referred to was built in 1837 at the corner of Tremont and Strand. And today that's Sangerfest Park. And by the way, that custom house was completed and it was turned over exactly two days before that hurricane blew in and blew everything away. But, you know, they had it for two days. Well, the Mexican skulls, are kept at the University of Pennsylvania, but a forensic artist recreated three of them, and they are on display at the Sam Houston Memorial Museum in Huntsville, Texas. It's located at 1836 Sam Houston Avenue, which is the greatest address in Texas, no doubt. And one of them, uh, they've been reconstructed in various ways uh, by this forensic artist, and it provides a fascinating glimpse into the past. It's well worth the trip. The Sam Houston Memorial Museum is fantastic. Uh, Check out their website at samhoustonmemorialmuseum.com and go check out those skulls. 
Well, bird watching is a huge industry in Texas. I highly recommend walking to the east end of Galveston Island, which is in a relatively natural state. You'll see many of the same sites that Audubon saw in 1837. If you walk down East Beach to the jetty and look north, kind of up the ship channel, you'll see the general area where Audubon spent much of his time and where he caught that huge sawfish. Uh, Galveston has a bird watching and photography festival called Featherfest, which in 2017 is going to be held April 6th to the 9th, which is about the time that Audubon was in Galveston. And that'll be the 15th anniversary of that festival. So you can check that out at galvestonfeatherfest.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. I want to thank everybody who's chosen to support the show, the preservation and promotion of Texas history. If you go to www.patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas, that's patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas, you can find out how to support the show. Also, go to our Facebook page, Wise About Texas, and like it and share it. And you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at wiseabouttexas. And take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. I appreciate everyone that's done so. If you'll just click on iTunes and leave a review, that'll help people find the show. Patrons of the show will be getting a bonus episode uh, dealing with the hurricane that blew down the buildings in Galveston, so be sure and sign up if you want that bonus episode. Well, that does it for this episode, and I appreciate you listening. God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.